I, I may have spied a uh, engaged couple during that because they were all like, oh, look, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> hey, uh, Craig and Casey are having a reception coming up, and you are all invited. It is on uh, Saturday the 28th, and there's a little invite like this, and you can talk to Kylie. Kylie, stand up, wave your, stand up. Yeah. Uh, she's got these invites. So after church or whatever, um, and there is, we're going to have cake because we do things with cake around here, um, back at the coffee table. So go find, in fact, Craig and Casey, let's put you on the spot today, wherever you are. There's Craig and, and there's Casey. Uh, so we'll put you on the spot. People can get their cake and, and love on you a little bit. And then, and then what? Eat and eat it too. Yeah, you can eat it as well. Yes. Um, okay, uh, open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. And um, by the way, when you stand up and fist pound or greet or whatever, it's always a good chance right there to run back and grab a Bible if you don't have one. Um, and I would just strongly recommend that you bring one every week. Um, but we're going to be in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It's not hard to find. The New Testament starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just find those and, and then flip back a few pages or get one of these fancy things that I have that just marks the page. Um, but while you're finding that page, let me just, uh, let me just cover one other thing. In, 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 in um, children's today, or after church today, uh, a reminder to you children's leaders that there is a, a meeting for you. Um, just, I'm supposed to remind you of that, and, and you're going to talk about learning styles. That'll be in the summit room. And, and as long as I'm talking about children's ministries, I, I want to just sort of throw out one other thing. And that's that um, Siru, our, our children's pastor, she's awesome, okay? Uh, my doorbell rang on Friday afternoon at like 4.30, and it was her, and I'd totally forgotten, but she teaches my daughter piano lessons on Friday afternoons at 4.30. And I, and I bring this up for this simple reason. Uh, we employ Nancy Ruth uh, part-time to do this, and then she supplements her income with piano lessons. Uh, thus, if she didn't have enough students, we wouldn't have a children's pastor. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. And so, uh, if, if you want piano lessons or know anyone that wants piano lessons, uh, she does a great job. And I'm just throwing that out there for free. And I know I won't promote your business, but uh, if you are our children's pastor and our church would have a major problem without you, then, then I will throw your business out there. <laughs> All right, we are in um, the third week of our series on Malachi, and it's been really great. And, and we're actually, I, I just realized this week, we're in a mini-series within our series, talking about priests. Um, we talked about them last week, we're going to talk about them this week, and then actually again next week. It, it, it really is that, that important that we cover this for three weeks, but I need to get everyone caught up if you've missed a little bit. So just real quickly, uh, here's what you missed. In Malachi, if you look <coughs> at the book of Malachi, it starts out... Um, you would notice, like, like it says, this is a prophecy, you know, this is a word of the Lord uh, to Israel, the, the people of God, God's children, through Malachi. Malachi was the prophet. And then the very first thing that God declares is, I have loved you. So, so um, it, it starts with a reminder of God's love for us. And, and not just his love, but actually his power. Um, it reminds us of, of not only how much he's loved us, but, but how um, that love has been revealed through his power. So from an Old Testament perspective, you know, they would, they would look back, think back on their history of how they were slaves and, and God loved them and brought them out of slavery and they spent time in the desert and he miraculously supplied for them and uh, brought them into the promised land and all these kinds of things. And from a New Testament perspective, we, we reflect back on the cross and Christ and, and what he's done and everything. And so it's this idea that God in his love, he, he reached out to us 
when, when we were desperate, we were, we were stuck, literally uh, dying, okay, in slavery, and, and he has saved us, okay? In, in his love for us, or through his love for us, and through his power, he has saved us. And so that, that's kind of where it started. And then from there, it moves into this, this call for us to give our very best when it comes to worship. And, and it focuses kind of on the, on the corporate worship gathering. We, might, we think of church, right? We, we come together, and so that's what we've been talking about, um, is, is church a lot. But it's this idea that, that God has loved us so much, and his power has been revealed so strongly throughout history and throughout our history, that, that, that our response ought to be just one of love, that it ought to be our pleasure and our delight to respond to him with worship. And that when we come to him in worship, we ought to, we ought to bring it, man. We, we ought to bring our very best. And so I'm really proud of you, actually. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, how many of you are here when we started today? Uh, for those of you that were here that week, I talked about how it's really quite disrespectful to God if we show up to work on time, but we show up to church late. And, and so I'm really, really, I've, I've been very happy to see the kind of shift that's occurred in that. But we've talked about how we, we really want to honor and respect God with this time. And so when we sing, we sing our loudest, and, and we show up on time, and, and, and we give our tithes, and we give our very best in this moment, in this moment. Not because of legalism, or not because we have to, or obligation, but because it's our, it's our privilege. It's our joy to respond to that love and, and to his power. Uh, but then last week, we talked about how there, there was a problem. And there is a problem, there still is a problem, um, but there was a problem in Malachi's time, and, and that's that the, the people, uh, the followers of God, God's children, they, they had quit doing that. They, they'd quit giving their all in worship. It was like there was this erosion, um, if you would, this, this erosion of, of their worship. Uh, there was an erosion of their relationship with God, because all of this is, is about God's relationship with us. And, and over time, that relationship kept eroding. It's like the people of God were no longer bringing their best. In fact, uh, for them, they, they did things a little weird, like they, they would bring um, a little lamb to sacrifice, and that was part of their worship, which seems strange to us. But, but anyways, they, they would do that, and, so, uh, and they were told that had to be their very best little lamb, and so pretty soon they're bringing three-legged lambs or four-eyed goats or, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and they go, ah, that, that's good enough. Uh, that's good enough. It's just God. I mean, it's like no one's going to notice. He's Probably not going to say anything, all right? Um, and, and so there was an erosion of the worship. They were no longer honoring and respecting God in the way they were supposed to. And we discovered that, that a big part of the reason for that, not the only reason, but a big part of the reason for that was the priests. It turns out that God had left the responsibility uh, of, of teaching the people of God how to worship, of, of calling them when, the, when they were slacking or these kinds of things, you know, like, like calling them out on that and holding them accountable. He'd left that responsibility to the priests. But the priests, if you think of the Old Testament, like in the book of Joshua, God says to, to Joshua, be strong and courageous. You know, when you lead, you know, leaders of God, they have to be strong and courageous, but the, the, the priests, they weren't being strong and courageous. Rather, what they were doing, they were kind of being cowardly. In fact, they, they, were, they were. They were cowards. And in, and in their own spiritual immaturity, as their relationships began to sort of uh, crumble or erode with God, uh, what they began to do was just expect less and less out of the people. And the people went, okay, if you expect less, I'll give you less, and we'll just settle with less. And, 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 and it all eroded, all right? But what you need to understand is, is that through the Old Testament, 
as God worked in the culture that, that they were living in, that was causing them extreme, severe problems. I mean, it was literally that the, the, the priests were leading these people in such a way that it was leading them to death. It was causing them great, great harm. And so you can imagine that God was mad. He was very mad, in fact. And so we read this, Malachi chapter 2, and we'll just pick up here at the beginning of chapter 2. God says, and now you priests, this warning is for you. If you don't listen, and if you don't resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. And we stopped there because uh, last week I mentioned that, that for some of us, this text, this, this section right here, it's, it's a sticking point. That, that maybe, you know, I could imagine somebody's here this morning, maybe you're not a Christian, you're, you're just here to check out this Christianity thing or, or, or whatever, and you're trying to figure it all out, and you're like, oh, see? See, you Christians, you talk about how your God is all about love He's all about compassion and grace, but look, look right here, it's like, get here five minutes into it and God's cursing somebody, right? And we, and we laugh, but, but this is really where some people are at. They, they, they don't understand, so they look at this and they're like, no, God is saying he's going to curse people, and, and so we need to get past this. We need to get past this sticking point. It's so two things that hopefully will, will help you. Uh, number one, remember the context, okay? Context is very important when you read the Bible. And the context is that um, God's children are being led by these, these teachers, these, these priests. And these teachers are leading them in such a way that is causing them great harm. It's even uh, killing them, literally. And so last week, I, I kind of pushed you on this, and afterwards I thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But, but imagine if one of your teachers, uh, or one of your children's teachers, was, was leading your child in such a way that it was causing them great harm, killing them. Put that way, it doesn't seem like a curse is so bad, does it? No. If you think about the, the Father's love, the, the love that God has for us, and you start to realize what these priests are doing, and you think about your own children and your love for them, if a teacher was to mislead them in such a way that was actually harming them, causing them great, great harm, mm, curse not such a bad thing. And then the second thing is this, uh, I want to tell you that this curse, this, this curse that, that, that is being talked about right here, it's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. And that seems weird to, to hear, but, but, but we really need to understand that, that this curse, this curse that God says, I will send a curse on you. If you, if you don't resolve to honor my name, I will, I will curse you. This curse that God is going to bring, it's, it's a really, really good thing. And so before we leave here today, th there are three things that I want us to tackle and I want us to understand and I want all of us to walk away knowing or really understanding or, or owning, okay? So it's really important that you get these three things. So if, if you're a writer, or even if you don't, and you have a pen, and you have a program or a piece of paper, I want you to write these three things down, because when you walk out the door today, I want you to go, oh yeah, I get it. I, get, I know these three things, okay? So here they are. The first thing that I want you to understand is what is this curse? I mean, God says, if, if you don't resolve to honor my name, I am going to cur curse you. What is the actual curse, the specific curse? What, what is God literally threatening to do. When you walk out here today, if somebody asks you, hey, in Malachi, uh, God threatens the, the priest with a curse, I want, I want you to go, yeah, oh yeah, I know about that curse. I know what it is. 
I know what it is. I know what God was threatening to do. I know what he did. All right? So the number one thing you really need to walk away with is what, what is this curse? Number two, once you understand what the curse is, I want you to understand how can this curse be a good thing? Because when you hear about it, it's, it's going to sound a little mean. I mean, when you, when you hear about it, I want you to know that, that it might sound a little mean, but you, I want you to come to the point where you understand, oh, no, 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 I understand the curse. I understand what God is threatening him with. I understand what he did, and now I see, oh, it's a good thing. In fact, it's a very good thing. And then lastly, when you walk away here, from here this morning, I want you to know this. I want you to know what this all means to you. What, what does this mean to me? Because it turns out that this curse has ramifications uh, that affect all of us, or at least nearly all of us in this room. It turns out that what we're reading about, although it took place 2,500 years ago, it, it still affects us. It matters. And so we need to know why it matters. Okay? Why is this important? Now, truth is, this is, this is going to be a pretty uh, heavy message, a pretty heady message, not much comedy, not much fun, so, so let's just dig in, <laughs> all right? Let's dig in and let's get to it. Um, but first, let's pray. Lord, uh, as we come before you this morning, would you make your word clear to us? In fact, Lord, I, I, just, I just ask right now, as we, as we come here, and I, I pray that the people that are listening, that this would be their prayer, that they would open up, and Lord, would, would you, Holy Spirit, would you just move in us, would you reveal your truth that's in this word? That you, would you help us to see it? That, would you help us to see these three things and to understand the impact that it ought to have on us? In fact, Lord, maybe this morning, I've, I've never, never really even prayed to you before, if that's the case. Lord, I just... I'm willing to give you a shot. So Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're real, and for those of us that know, we know the Holy Spirit, you're in us. Lord, would, would you just move in our hearts and our minds? Reveal your truth to us in a new way. Help us to leave here transformed this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. What is this curse? Well, to understand, let's go back to the text, and we'll pick up right where we left off last week. Verse 3, chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 3, God has said, remember, look, if you don't resolve to honor my name, then he says, I'm going to curse you. He says this, because of you, and he's talking to the priests, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. Now what we have here in this, in this, this short little text, okay, this is, this is the curse. And, and what I want to point out is that with this curse, if we're, if we're going to ask this question, what, what is the curse, the specific curse that God is going to, you know, is threatening these people with or whatever, um, what is it? There's sort of three parts to it. There's three aspects to it. You might think of it, okay, if, 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 if um, you know, uh, if you speed, you know, there, there might be three consequences. Number one, you crash your car. Number two, you get a ticket. Number three, you go to jail. So, you know, that kind of thing. So there's, there's three parts to this curse, and I, and I want you to see them. The first part is, is there's, there's a humiliation aspect to this, okay? And I'm going to explain that. It's going to kind of point out that God has a pretty wicked sense of humor, actually, I think. Uh, but there's a humiliation aspect to this. Then the second part of it is that through the humiliation, we're going to find out that, that there's a, a consequence that involves removal from office. 
okay? Or, or the Donald Trump kind of thing, you're fired, okay? So there's a humiliation aspect to this curse. If, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. You'll be humiliated, number two. Then, then you'll be removed from all of us. And then, and then third, God says that um, he's going to put an end to the family business, okay? And we're going to go into these in depth. Uh, we're all familiar with the family business. You know, this is the idea where, where somebody starts a, a business or maybe a career and, and then their son or their daughter, you know, follows in their footsteps and they do this, the same uh, career or they, or they take that business and they follow on. It goes on generation, 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 generation after generation. Uh, you end up with like, um, you know, Smith and Sons, plumbing and eating, that kind of thing, right? Okay, so, so the, the three parts of this is God says, okay, there's going to be this humiliation aspect, there's going to be a removal from office, and there's going to be an end to the family business. Now, now let's, let's just dig deeper and let me show you how I got that, okay? Check it out. In, in, in verse 3, the second half of it, well, the first part says, because of you, I'll rebuke your descents. And, he, and then he says this, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. And maybe you're familiar with this, this phrase, you know, you got egg on your face? Oh, man, I got egg on my face. What does that mean? Nobody knows. You're not familiar with that face. Okay, that phrase means that you've been humiliated. <laughs> oh, I got egg on my face. So, you know, somebody asked me if I could jump over this music stand. I said, sure I could. I run, jumped, fell, hit, and crashed, and broke the monitor and everything, and I got egg on my face, right? Uh, that, that's what it means. Now, in this case, it's like we're going to take that phrase. Uh, oh, I, I'm going to put egg on your face. You're going to get egg on your face, and we're going to amplify it. Because he's saying, I'm going to put dung on your face. Y'all know what dung is? Poop. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just to be clear, i got to be clear on this. Okay, so God is like saying, okay, well, it's not just an egg on your face. I'm going to amplify this a hundred times. And, I, and, and, and you're going to have poop on your face. He says, I will smear on your faces the dung, the dung from your festival sacrifices. Now understand what was going on. Back in Malachi's time, remember, they, they were there at the temple. They'd come together for corporate worship. They'd all bring, the, you know, their little lamb, and, and, and they're going to sacrifice it right? And the reason they're going to sacrifice it is because they believe, this is what they've been taught, and this is true, that there was an obstacle in their relationship between them and God. Because this whole thing is about relationships. It's about the relationship between me or people and God. And there's an obstacle, and that obstacle is my sin. God is holy and righteous and pure, and as a result, he can't be in my presence. I can't be in his presence. So here I go to worship, I go into the temple, and I got this problem. I got this sin problem. And God had taught them, well, the way you take care of your sin problem is you, you bring along this perfectly innocent little lamb, this perfect animal as well. You bring it in and you slaughter it. And when you slaughter it, it's as if your sin, your guilt, goes on to that. The consequence of sin, uh, what he taught them, is the consequence of your sin is, is death. And, and this little lamb is going to take that death for you and literally cleanse you. It will, it will take the consequence of the sin for you. And, and you will be left clean, and therefore you can be in my presence, and you can worship. But what happens as soon as you start bringing barnyard animals into church? They poop, <laughs> right? They poop, so you got, this, you got this, not just a sin problem, but you got a poop problem. And, 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 and poop is dirty, right? And, and so you don't leave it there. You, you get rid of it. It's unclean. And yet God is saying, he's saying, he is going to smear on their faces, the priests. I am going to smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. It's like he's saying, look, you're my leaders, and, and if you're going to turn my worship into a joke, well, I'm going to turn you into a joke. Do you get it? 
I realize I've got students in the room. They're a little more visual. So I brought a visual this morning. And I also brought myself a latex glove that I kind of broke when I was practicing. So I hope I can get this on because... Kind of like the doctor. <laughs> this is mostly for the students because they, you know, they like they like to have a little extra. And I know I've got them in here. This is what we're talking about. Now, this is disgusting. This is a little crusty, right? Now understand. In in this case, this would be fresh dung. Okay. Now. Understand what, what God is saying here, right? Right? Let's just smear this on your face. Whoa, jeez. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to do that, did I? Oh, maybe a little bit. Oh, it's here. Oh, yeah, thanks for picking it up for me there. Oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. He's saying, he's saying, Justin, you might want to wash your hands. This is a little, look at this. This is a nutty version. All right, here's the deal. The truth is, this is soap. All right, this is, this is just a funny thing. As a pastor, this is what I got as my Christmas gift from the staff. Or actually, I think Brian got this as his Christmas gift, but then one day it ended up on my office chair. Um, but it works, you know, like, like what job would you get, you know, from your staff or maybe from the vision team? I'm not sure who, you know, a piece of poop in the shape of, you know, or a piece of soap in the, sh- in the shape of poop. But, but then it works really well. Like what other job would you have where then you could actually use that? As an illustration, it's gonna, it's gonna, we're going to be able to push this quite a ways because actually uh, this poop cleanses. All right, so, so just, just hold on to that thought for a second. But, but anyways, uh, am I clear though on what's going on? Yeah, we're, we're very clear. Um, let's see. Okay, so what we need to understand is, is that the first aspect of this, of this curse is that he, he says he's going to smear this on them. And so they're going to be very humiliated, these, these priests. But, but it doesn't just end there. Because it turns out that, that in the temple, all right, where they would gather to worship, they, they had this, these very specific cleanliness rules, okay? Uh, because again, remember, this is all about their relationship with God, and, and God is clean and holy and righteous, and so they had to be clean and holy and righteous. And so, so the instant that, the, that this poop would be, be smeared on them, they would be unclean. They would be unclean, uh, and not just spiritually unclean, but, but physically unclean as, as well. And, and, and like I said, you don't, you don't leave the poop there, you, you remove it. And so it says here, uh, we read, going back to, to Malachi, because of you priests, he says this, uh, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. So it's, it's not just that he'll smear this on you and you'll be humiliated, but as a result of that humiliation, through that humiliation, you will be removed from office. You're fired. In fact, you can think of it this way. Your filth will be revealed. And as a result of your filth, you will be removed from office. So again, we have this humiliation aspect, and then through that, we, we have this removal from office. But if that's not enough, that there's one more thing, and this is a biggie. This is a biggie. He says this in verse 3. He says, because of you, priests, I will rebuke your descendants. So we're talking about the curse. What, what is the curse? And, and, and what we need to do is understand there's a whole lot of gravity here. Because it's not just that he's going to humiliate these priests. 
And it's not just that he's going to remove them from office, but what he's saying here is he's going to put an end to the family business, to the, the family business of being priests, because back in their time, it's not like just anybody could become a priest, all right? You could only be a priest if you were a, a certain type of a descendant of a guy named Levi. And so it turns out that if, like, like if Levi is your great-great-grandfather on your dad's side, well, then you're a priest. I mean, but just by definition, that's who you are. You're a priest. You're in the family business. And so if you're in the family, you're in the family business. But if you're not in the family, you're not in the family business. Only these specific people could be priests. It was a very exclusive kind of club. And God's saying, look, here's the curse. Three aspects to it. Number one, I'm going to humiliate you. Through that humiliation, I'm going to remove you from office. But I'm not just going to remove you from office. It's not like just you are fired. But I'm ending the exclusivity to the club. I'm putting an end to the family business. That's a big deal. So this is the curse that God is threatening. All right? What is the curse? Basically, God is saying, look, if you don't resolve to listen to me, if you don't resolve to get things right, to honor my name and lead people well, then I am going to curse you. There will be this aspect of humiliation. You will be humiliated. You will then, through that, be removed from office, and I am going to put an end to the family business. Okay? If they don't change. All right. The next thing we need to talk about is how can this be a good thing? That seems pretty mean. I mean, think about it literally. Okay, if, if I had really smeared this on somebody's face, if, if you got fired recently or your job ended, uh, it, it can be pretty mean. And so I want to talk about how can this curse, this specific curse, be a good thing? And, and here's what we need to know. Uh, we need to start by just looking at biblical curses in general. All right? Because we hear this idea of a, of a curse, right? And, and, and kind of our frame of reference, we think of maybe, I don't know, I think of like witchcraft, right? And I think of, um, you know, some witch putting a curse on you, or like if they curse you, well, you're doomed. You're like, you might not have even done anything wrong, and you're like, you're just doomed because you've been, you've been cursed. But that, that's not what's going on here. And, and, and we see all throughout the Bible, there are lots of biblical curses where God curses people. And so if we think, oh, God doesn't do that, no, he does. There are lots of different illustrations of this. Um, so I want to kind of give you a, maybe a different picture. Uh, what we need to know is that, is that in the Bible, when God pronounces a curse on somebody, what he does is he removes their blessing. He removes some blessing. Everything good comes from God, and he removes something. So, so that's why we, we read here, he says, I will curse you, I will send this, a, a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. You might think of it this way. It's, it's kind of like a divine parental timeout. Those of you that have kids, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you, if you are a kid and, and you've recently had a timeout, you know. Because like, what happens? Like, your, your, your child uh, is misbehaving. They're going all crazy. Uh, you know, Johnny's hitting his sister with his Buck Rogers or whatever it is. Buzz Lightyear, that'd be more today. And, and, and so you say, all right, Johnny, that's it. I'm taking away Buzz Lightyear. I'm, I'm removing your blessing. And you're going in a timeout. Boom, I'm putting you in the corner. Okay? Now, it's not that we want to look at that and we go, oh, that's being mean. No, we recognize we're removing the blessing, we're putting you in the corner, we're giving you this time out, hopefully to correct your behavior. 
Hopefully to get you to start doing the right things. And so the point of all this is that the purpose of the curse is to get the child or the children, in this case, to behave properly. Ultimately, the focus is not on being mean, it's on on trying to correct incorrect behavior. Nonetheless, what we need to know is that the priests, they never did get it right. They never did get it right. God had tremendous patience on them. In fact, for the next 400 years, he waits and he waits and he waits, and and he lets the word of Malachi be there. You got to get this right. They never, ever got it right. They never resolved to honor God's name. They never repented of their sins. They never resolved to teach the people about about true worship. And and so as I think about that, I I, I think of this passage that talks about God's God's, uh, patience and his kindness leading leading to our repentance, or his patience and and his kindness leading to our salvation. God is incredibly patient with these priests. But that's when things get really interesting. Really interesting. Because as we look at this text from a New Testament perspective, we, we, we realize that just some 400 years later, it was the priests who called for the execution of Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. In other words, the priests, God's leaders, the ones who should have been in the know more than anyone, the the ones who've been saying for hundreds of years, oh, God is going to send us a Messiah. we got to look for the Messiah. He's sending us a Savior. Look for him. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. They're the very ones that led the charge to crucify him. Now, I get embarrassed when people say, hey, Eric, you're a pastor. Where's this passage in the Bible that says this? And I'm like, I don't know. But could you imagine being a priest and and being the one that said, let's crucify God? Talk about egg on your face. Or poop on your face. It's like that's the biggest humiliation ever. And yet, check it out, just, just follow this a little bit. So, so they do this thing through their own stupidity. God humiliates them, and through their humiliation and through God's power, what happens? Christ is crucified. He becomes the sacrifice for our sins such that we no longer need any more sacrifices. So we no longer need the priests to sacrifice for us. In other words, they do this humiliating act, this stupid act that leads to them losing their jobs. Are you following me? You see how that works? Because it's interesting. The priests, you know, they, they had to do this sacrifice, but then if you walked away and you sinned again, well, then we got to do it again. And if you walk away and you sin, well, then you got to do it again. But Jesus comes along and he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect lamb, and he is crucified for our sins once and for all, and and the last thing he says on the cross is what? It is finished. He absorbed God's wrath. He, He took on the consequence of our sins throughout all of time. It is finished. We no longer 
need the role of the priests. And then best of all, let's check this out. In the New Testament, we read this. This comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, it, Peter tells us this. He says, as you come to him, and he's referring to Jesus, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, okay, he's talking to you, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a house of worship uh, to be a, what? Holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, what this means is that because of the humiliating acts of the priests, because of their filth, their sin, and what they did, then through Christ's redemptive work on the cross, not only do we no longer need the priests in their sacrificial role, but, but this opened up the doors for all of us to become priests. It, it put an end to the exclusive club, the family business. What, what Peter is saying here is, is that if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, then, then you are a priest. What that means is that you no longer have to be a descendant of Levi, not a literal descendant. You need to be a spiritual descendant. You don't have to be a member of his family. You have to be a member of God's family because through what Christ did on the cross, all of us can now offer these spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. We, we no longer need the priest to make sacrifices for us. We no longer need the priest to stand between us and God and, 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 and mitigate this relationship for us. And that's a very, very good thing. That's a very good thing. Remember, I said we need to walk away understanding how can this be a good thing. Well, here, here's how. Here's how. This has all been about relationship. This whole thing. Malachi reveals to us that from the very beginning of the history of God's people all the way through to there and then going on, this has all been about relationship. And what we, what we learn is that this curse, the acting out of this curse, it removes my need for a priest because now I can go directly to God and so can you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Every one of us. We can go directly to God. We can be in intimate relationship with him. As we've always wanted to be. It also, another thing it does is it, it shifts from a temporary solution to this sin problem to a permanent solution to the sin problem. Through this curse, we don't have to go back and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice because Jesus was the sacrifice. And then finally, it changes the direction of the relationship. Why is this a good thing? Because it changes the direction of the relationship in this sense. Remember I said that our relationship with God, if you go back all the way to the beginning, it's always corroding. It's always corroding. It's always becoming less. But then what happens is you get to the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then the relationship is being built up. And it's getting better and better and better. And Peter says, he says, now you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. 
Before, it was always getting worse. Now it's always getting better. So, so we look at all of time from the beginning, Adam, till the end, Christ's return, and we say, look at it, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. We get to the cross, it's getting better, it's getting better, it's getting better. It's getting farther away, farther away, farther away. It's getting closer, it's getting closer, it's getting closer. turns out that this curse is a very, very good thing. And then the final thing we need to walk away understanding this morning. What does this mean to me? Well, as I've already suggested, it means that if Jesus is your Lord, then you are a priest. You are a priest. And that means you need to fulfill the role of a priest. That's a pretty big responsibility. Now, you're not a, a priest in the sense that, I, you know, I'm a pastor, and I have this teaching role. I have been given this gift where I'm a teacher. But, but, but no, you and I are a priest in the, in the same way. And so we have this role that we have to, we have to fulfill. And, and one of the things that, that we've seen throughout the book of Malachi is that priests, number one, they ought to stand in awe of God. Okay? They ought to stand in awe of God. Now, next week, we're going we're gonna to go back, and we're going to look at sort of like, like, what is the role of a priest, right? Like, like, if this is my job, a priest, what's my job description? What's my job description? Like, what are the responsibilities that I have as a priest? And, and most jobs, you know, they come with pay and perks. So what are the, what's the pay, and what, what's the perks, of being a priest. What's the responsibility? We're going to talk all about that next week. But for right now, I just want to focus on one last thing. And that's the fact that we're to stand in awe of God's name. Now, I would challenge you, if you were to just think, pause and reflect on what God has done in your life, if you truly have been saved, if you know what it means to be saved, if, if you have made Jesus your Lord, then I don't know how you can stand and, and not be in awe but I want to point something out to you. There's something happening in the book of Malachi, and it's really fascinating, and I'm not sure I can put it to words as well as I want to. So, so look at this. Let's go back to the text one last time. And God says this through Malachi. He says, And you will know that I have sent you this warning. You will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue. Okay? It, 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 the covenant with Levi continues because we now are in that covenant, the, the Levitical priesthood covenant, in, a, in sort of a, a, a strange way. You can't literally tease it through, but what we find out is that everything in the Old Testament is, is sort of like this pale reflection of what's going on in the New Testament. So we'll talk about that next week. But, 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 but what I want to focus in on right here is, is that when God says, and you will know that I have sent you this warning, we've got to grab the gravity of this because basically what this is saying What's this saying? It said all of this was God's plan all along. Going all the way back to the beginning, he knew that the priesthood was not going to work. He, he knew that the priests wouldn't work. And he told them in advance. So he, says, he says, okay, if you don't do this, I'm going to curse you. Remember he said, and I've already cursed you. It's kind of weird. It's like, okay, God, you're doing this. It's what he's doing. He's just like, he's tipping his cards. He's showing us in advance. 
And we can stand now and look back and realize just how great God is. I mean, check this out. One last thing. Uh, Back in chapter one, we read this the very first week. Let me just read it to you again. God said this. He says, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun in every place. Now think about it. He's saying this to this Old Testament group of people. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations. Realize, in Malachi's time, the readers of this text, they must have been baffled. What is God saying? How can pure offerings be brought in every place? Like what, is he gonna build a temple in every place, in every nation? And even if he did build a temple, then he'd need a priest in every place, in every nation. How can that be? God's just tipping his cards, man. In the New Testament, we learn that when we accept Christ, we become the temple. The Holy Spirit indwells us. That's the kind of relationship we have. And we become the priest. And so we need to know what our role is. We need to know what our role is. So next week we'll come back and we'll specifically focus in on our role today. Looking a lot at, at a lot of New Testament passages to say, okay, what, is this, what does this mean? What do I have to, what do, I have to do? What, what, what does this mean for me? All right? But recognize, none of this would be possible if it weren't for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. So to close this out today, we're going to take communion. We're going to take communion. Jesus said on the night before he suffered, uh, he gathered his friends together and said, hey, when you guys gather in the future to break bread, would you remember me? And he said to them, he did the same thing. He tipped his cards. He said to them, this bread, you know what it represents? It represents my body, which was broken for you. And they looked at that and went, what? But Jesus was just tipping his cards. It reveals how great and mighty he is. And then he took a cup of wine that had a lot of symbolism, a lot of meaning. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which was shed for you. And they're like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? But he's just tipping his hand. He's revealing to us how great he is. And he said, when you do this, when you partake in the table, would you remember me? Would you remember my sacrifice? Would you remember why it was necessary so that you could be cleansed of your sins? Would you stand in awe of my name? So let's pray for the elements and we'll partake in communion. Lord, we come before you this morning and I I pray that you have somehow made your word clear through this text and through your word preached. I pray that all of us this morning have a greater understanding of what you've done through history, a greater understanding of, of this curse that you said you'd pronounce on these priests and how you did and how that played out and how that reveals your hand and how mighty you are throughout all of history. And Lord, as we come to the table this morning, we are just extremely grateful for your sacrifice. We remember what you have done for us. And we stand in awe of not just your love, but your power because the grave didn't hold you down. You conquered the grave.
We give you the glory this morning and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.